it's a psychological thing really because when you are training hard and you've been obviously training harder than normal you want to see results you don't want to see an injury that tells you no you can't keep going mm. so I said you quite often deny it which is often when <laughs> stress fractures develop Hello and welcome to this episode of The Run-In, sponsored by Envy and Straight Compasses. We have a great interview coming up with Frida Forsellen, who's going to tell us about like lots of these common orienteering injuries. She's an orienteer, she's also a chiropractor and um, uh, is Swedish but lives now in the UK. So she's going to tell us all sorts of um, things about what to do, what not to do, especially as I think a lot of us are stuck into our lockdown training at the moment um but will you're here how are you doing will how's how's training going at the moment ah yeah training's going okay um been a bit busy with work lately with a lot of um deadlines so took a bit of a hit last week but yeah back on it now um trying to survive the uh the cold and the the rain as best i can but it's getting lighter in the evenings only positives Yes, I am excited for that. Are you presumably you're you're you know you're thinking quite far ahead in terms of the summer's potential prospects at the moment and seeing or are you, have you started to do anything kind of specific or still fairly uh, general training uh, at the moment? Still relatively um, general. Tracks are still closed, so um, can't get on there and do much um, specific speed work, but. Um, I saw I saw Chris Jones do quite a funny tweet about um, that we should just have loads of racing around industrial estates this summer because that's the only place we've been able to train like we've not been able to train <laughs> on a track so let's not have any track races. Well, yeah, um, and then Ralph Ralph Street's reply of he might not have heard of sprint orienteering, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, just general stuff at the moment, just trying to keep the big base miles going. You know, fast faster long runs on Sundays, tempo work, threshold work, and. Um, start moving through to a bit more of the speed stuff coming up but um, with you know walk test races not until June um, European champs not until May there's still quite a bit of time mm. really to, mm. to keep on building so get the engine as big as possible and then start uh, start getting some fast stuff in brilliant um our will it should be pom this week portugal o meeting which is should be uh, which i'm really gutted about um that's where the kind of the podcast was born so i feel like it has some special significance for some reason it, so I'm, kind yeah, of, I'm really sad we can't be in there just want to be somewhere warm <laughs> somewhere yeah. warm with some sand dunes or some cool rocky terrain um well speaking of yeah. warm have you seen where the whole like the whole of the czech team currently is they're in kenya I know, I know. In, it's they've, really gone, ridiculous. they've gone to Iten, which is like the famous like place where it's like home of the champions or something. Like it's where a lot of like athletes go to train, and obviously lots of Kenyans and and stuff will train there. And how on earth have they managed to get to Kenya? I I, I don't know. It's impressive. Um, all I can think of is that the uh, I, I I think last year the Czech lockdown was relatively laps compared to the rest of Europe anyway they weren't hit as bad and that their sporting federation um allows them to travel uh which whereas in Britain it seems to be only football and rugby that has allowed that yep well there's a few you know British athletes who've gone into Europe to do some of the um indoor circuit uh indoor athletic Mm. circuit that I've been kind of watching but yeah um it's also my question is, how on earth have they got the money to go to Kenya and the time off for them to do a whole trip? 
to go to Kenya and train. Like, I mean, I just assumed that their setup was quite like the British setup in that they've got no money. So the ha- the fact that they've... I mean, obviously they're doing it because they've... They must... I, my, my only assumption is they've got some money to do that because they've got the World Championships this um, summer in, in the Czech mm. Republic. I, I think so. The, a lot of them have a lot of personal sponsors, I think, <laughs> as well, um, okay. which support them, as far as I know. I don't know too much about them, to be honest. Uh, and, and, and you know what? I think, we need to get, I think we need to get some, someone on to have a chat from who on the Czech team, because I really, like, I'm so jealous, but I also like, want to know how they've managed yeah. to do it. <laughs> because no. I think so many athletes wish they could be going somewhere to do some, like, warm weather training, and warm weather training at altitude in Kenya. Yeah. Ah, oh, well, it'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, I, I would love to be out there. But uh, I, I did speak to, I did send Milos Nikodim, who's in the Czech team, a message on Friday. And uh, he said that hopefully we have to get him on if he survives um, not getting diarrhea in the first week. So fingers crossed. He, uh, <laughs> he's not, he said he's not got it yet, but he's a bit worried. So um, oh hopefully he survives that and we can get him on and, and get chatting to him. That would be really, really great. Um We've got some news about some events that are cancelled, unfortunately. First of all, Tiamila, the massive relay that takes place mm. in Sweden, is cancelled. Um, they're investigating whether it can be moved to the autumn. Yeah, and uh, there's a possibility of an elite-only race as well that they might also be thinking about. Um, we don't know how that would work or how that would be considered. Maybe that's just one one team per club in both the women's mm. and the men's as a smaller field. Uh, but yeah... I think that, I, I don't know if it came as a surprise to other people, but I was relatively surprised that that was made this early, you know, start of February, that they've already cancelled mm. it. But there must well, be a very good reason. when is it, May? Yeah, it, last weekend of April, first weekend of May. Yeah, um, okay. So, quite, you know, a good quite three soon. months away. I'd, well, I don't know, I'd see that as quite soon. Well, yeah, probably quite soon. <laughs> I know, I'm certainly keeping an eye on O-Ringing because I've got an entry and they say they're looking to make their decision in May for, what will that be, July. So we'll see about that one. We've mm. also got the European Youth slash Juniors has been cancelled. Remember, because um, Junior World Champs was cancelled, so they put the juniors supposedly in with this kind of European bit section, basically. Um, that was due to being Hungary, well, last year, and then has been brought forward to this year. Uh, that's now going to be moved to um, 2022 as just the youth orienteering championship. So no, none of those kind of slightly older junior classes. I think it's just 16s and 18s. Whilst mm. um, the European youths 2021 are going to be organised in Lithuania as planned. And that's kind of middle of August time for those. So no European youth slash juniors in Hungary. That will kind of be moved later. And we've just got EYOC. Uh, in Lithuania this summer, basically. So mm. another one to go. Um, I'm There's still expecting to, to do my, Yeah, there are fingers crossed. I'm still expecting to do some ski orienteering commentary at the, at the end of this month. So we'll see if that, that happens, but I'm not and, like... And where's that one? That's in Estonia. And the the, okay. the recent stuff I've heard, you know, they're, they're still planning to go ahead. And obviously it will be a very small meet because it's ski orienteering. But... I mean, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Do you know how they're planning on the athletes kind of accommodating there? If they're all in one big hotel, are they going to be cordoned off? I mean, because obviously you're not going to I'm not, no, person. I'm not going. No, I know they have to take... I think they have to, like, quarantine until they take a test. You have to take a test before they fly out, and I think they also have to take a test um, afterwards as well. 
Um, right. Basically, yeah. Um, where, like after they've arrived and have to quarantine maybe until that, and then they're allowed out basically. Um, but I'm not. Okay. I'm not sure. As I, as you said correctly said, I'm not actually going, so I'm not sure completely on that. Mm. It'd be interesting because I'd, I'd see that as being the the blueprint of how European champs and walk and jaywalk could be run by the organisers for various yeah. things. So I agree. Mm, I, I agree. If it, if it does happen, then yeah, it'll be definitely be a blueprint. Um, but something we made some positive news probably, hopefully, uh, Scottish Six Days entries are open at the moment if you haven't um, already entered for those. Um, they are hopeful of an event uh, going on, although they are expecting that there's going to have to be some kind of, um, you know, it's not. It's definitely not going to look the same as a normal Scottish Six Days with, with everybody being allocated start times and, you know, the whole... I guess the whole holiday atmosphere of it might be quite different, I expect, but certainly entries yeah. are open for um the six days. Yeah, that that'll be I mean, hopefully it goes ahead, obviously. Um, but it'll be real shame that it's not I imagine gonna be the same type of atmosphere with that, you know, nice sunny sunny climbs and um yeah, holiday feeling of mm. other years, but hopefully it goes ahead. Um, and one bit, one bit of news, actually, Catherine, very hot off the press. Oh, okay. Um, from from today, uh, from an anonymous source, is that they could the British long distance champs could be rescheduled for November. Um, so it's ah. cancelled for the first weekend of March. But is this could be is this what still. still it's still in the same area, still in the south? Um... In the in the south, but not in the original location. Oh. That Ooh. that is what I'm hearing. It could be incorrect, so take it with a pinch of salt. But <laughs> we don't have two sources; find. we just have one. Yep, exactly. Yeah, okay. <laughs> exactly. Okay, well, that yeah, that could work by the hopefully by the time of November could potentially. Work. But um, okay, oh, I'm excited. I can't wait to hear more. I hope something becomes official soon and we can get excited about something basically. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, let's move on then to our um. Our interview, our main interview this week with orienteer and chiropractor Frida Forsellen. I want to start by asking you a little bit about your orienteering background as uh, as an orienteer. So, how long have you been orienteering? First of all, Frida. Um, I started when I was about eleven, I think. Um, just joined my my local club. I was doing some things with my mum before, just some permanent courses, and she suggested I just try it. So I went along and did that. And then, um, like, how how good were you as a junior and uh, as an early senior? Not <laughs> incredibly good, I should say. <laughs> I was like top ten in all the Stockholm competitions I was entering when I was a kid. You know, about fourteen ish. Uh, but I wouldn't say I ever won anything. <laughs> I think I think I have a top ten in the Swedish championship in night orienteering, and that's about it. <laughs> well, the competition is fierce, so um, you know I'm sure it's still pretty like decent standard. And then, um, obviously, we're chatting to you because you're a chiropractor. Um, how how long have you been a chiropractor, and kind of where? Why did you want to do that? Um, I've been a chiropractor now for about four years coming up to. Um, basically, I I had an injury, as we all do, that's how it starts. Um, I tore my ACL ligament, which is um, one of the ligaments in the knee, and when I was 17, and I had to have lots of uh, rehab on it. And uh, after that, I kind of became a bit interested in the whole um, 
um, how the body worked and yeah I kind of got into chiropractic so that's how I am in the in the UK now because I went over here to study and then yeah met my husband who's British and ended up staying. <laughs> why so why study in the UK and not in Sweden where you grew up? Uh, because there isn't a um, there isn't a university degree in chiropractic in Sweden. Um, when I was looking, there was only about six places in Europe I could study. Wow. And uh, yeah, after eliminating which you know languages I can and can't <laughs> speak, <laughs> uh, I ended up going to uh, to Bournemouth. Mm, nice. And you were still orienteering. You know, you were, were you orienteering the whole time when you were studying and things like that. Yeah, yeah, I was. Um, I was part of um, Wessex Orienteers Club when I was living down there. Um, so I was doing a lot of their like Wessex night leagues and uh, those kind of competitions, which is really nice. Do quite a lot of people doing chiropractic like have sporting backgrounds? I'd imagine that would be quite common. Yeah, it's, it's about kind of 50-50. It either seems to be people who uh, have a kind of interest in medics but didn't want to do general medics. Um, or people with sporting background who do it. Mm, okay, so what we want to know from you is we want to, uh, you know, pick your brain and uh, find out kind of what we can do as orienteers to like, you know, minimise our injuries or like what are the common ones and things like that. So I think you wanted to talk kind of about ways people can get injured first. Like what are the common common ways people can get injured? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so to be fair, the two most common way in, in orienteering at least that you get injured is either doing something small, like something small slightly wrong many times, uh, <laughs> or it's doing something really wrong once. <laughs> okay. So yeah, it's either like you're running and your gait is slightly wrong, and then if you've been running a lot, that eventually adds up, or it's um, like you know, stepping wrong and spraining your ankle is one time and it's it's gone. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's the main the main two things really. Uh, and often it's also that people train too hard. I would always say um, people are trying to kind of at the eighty percent of their limit, a hundred percent of the time. Mm. Whereas actually, what you should do is like when you're doing intervals, run hundred percent of your capacity. And then have some lower impact um, stuff where you're you kind of building up tolerance of your tissues um, in your legs, for example. Um, so yeah, one good example of this is actually if you look at rock climbing, um, you can be the strongest with the best technique, but if you climb too hard too much, you're gonna rip the skin on your fingers. And if mm. you rip the skin on your fingers, you can't climb. Well, that's not exactly the same for running, <laughs> but if you just go too hard, your tendons, uh, your joints are going to eventually break. Mm. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. So it's like about having different kind of levels of intensity in the sessions, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Um, just not training at, at, at maximum all the time, basically. Have some mm. slower, shorter runs. You know, so I think people have to, found that example, really hard in, lo in lockdown, the fact that they've not, you know, n if people haven't been racing, they've not been tapering for racing and they're trying to like, they're feeling, I don't know, they're, maybe they're feeling rubbish as well and they're wanting to like go hard all of the time. And, and I think we saw that. I remember Will, when we were chatting to Ali Thomas, like, you know, just saying he was beasting it too much and just kind of ended up with that injury. 
Yeah, I, there, there's a balance though of the not having to taper down for events means you can consistently do mileage and effort and strength work where you normally might not as well. Mm. So the extra things alongside where normally you think, oh, I won't do that strength session because I've got a race and it'll impact. So you, mm. you do the extra rehab as well. Lock, lockdown's a very interesting balancing one of of everything. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, if you, many people are doing lockdown and just trying to set train harder and harder um, but generally if you want to kind of build on or start training more you can either kind of start with increasing the frequency like how many times do you run or you can start building the distance or you can start kind of try to run faster if you try to do more than one of those three in one go that's generally when bad things happens <laughs> <laughs> And is that just because you've got more? You're 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 not used to having that stress on your muscles or ligaments and things like that. And if you suddenly increase it, then yeah, it all goes wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly that. It's just you try to build up too quickly, and you just have to your muscles. I think have to get used to it first. Mm-hmm. But also, as you said, if you if you have been training really hard in lockdown and you're still feeling like, you know, I'm not getting faster or you even for some reason feel like you start getting slower that's generally not a sign that you know you're not training hard enough it's generally the opposite that you know you're either not resting properly your body needs a bit of rest to catch up um, or it could be that you're not fueling enough so you know if you're not eating enough your your body can't recover as easily and then you start getting slower I guess that's especially if you if you're upping your training, then you need to make changes nutritionally as well to like follow that. Yeah, exactly. Training more, you're gonna burn more calories, so you need to put more in. <laughs> simple, <laughs> simple, simple. But so many people like will not think about that. I think. Yeah. No, I agree. That is, it's very true. It's a simple thing to fix, but also, yeah, you've got to think about it before you start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a very simple equation yeah Cal- calories in versus calories out and just getting stores top back up i think most people seem to struggle with that after long training as well um where they always go oh yeah my stomach's ruined i can't get anything in and then they'll just suffer like a pig the next day because <laughs> they don't get anything in um i think probably especially prevalent for orienteers three days into say the jk and you've just done a long race and you've got a relay the next day that fueling element is just so crucial Mm-hmm. And take and taking the breaks when you need, you know. I I was I was having a tough week a few weeks ago, and Frida, you were like, right, Catherine, have a have a week of kind of less intensity, like have a week off and kind of do some maybe like five k's, but do them properly slowly. And I found it really difficult to actually run as slow as I thought I should be running. I found it really hard. I'm still not very quick that I'm running, but like, you know, as I like to actually properly take it easy because I'm too much like, yeah, let's go. And yeah, <laughs> didn't, didn't always end well. No, <laughs> exactly. When you get to that situation, it's, it's said it's almost easier to kind of go out running with someone who you know is a little bit slower than you just to, you know, pace yourself. Yeah, that's why what, running with my mom is very useful. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, harsh. <laughs> oh, she'll take that, she'll take that. She used to be much, much quicker than me, and I'm like, finally in my life, it's the other way around. I think that is a really key point, actually, Catherine, with that. Um, 
you know, with everyone working from home and having increased pressures on their time from either doing homeschooling or, you know, just having expectations that everyone's always on their laptop. I know that I experienced that with work that, you know, there's a the slight expectation that you're always near your laptop to always get on work. You know, stress is stress. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if it's running or work or lack of sleep or, you know, cooking or whatever, that's going to take an impact on how you recover from things. Um, yeah, so those switch off weeks, absolutely, they sound like a, a, a brilliant idea. Yeah, good one to try. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're ready to move on to like what the t- kind of main types of orienteering injury are? Yeah. That's a good idea. So, yeah, I'm very interested in this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> where, where, where do we screw up? Like, yeah. I remember, I remember you saying, you saying um, something like, um, you know, you can almost tell someone's an orienteer by the way they run. We don't have particularly great running styles or something like that. From uh, you can go, oh yeah, yeah, they are classic. Like, don't do something. So fill us in. What are the common ones? Yeah, my my husband went to an orienteering event with me. He's not an orienteer. And he was just looking at how everyone was running and he went, Frida, there's so much money to make in orienteering. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay, so, go yeah, on then. How, what are we doing wrong? Um, well, generally, um, if you start off with the things that I said, you can do something slightly wrong many times. Um, one of the most common injuries of that in generally in running, actually, is something called ITB friction syndrome. Um, so the ITB, it's like, it's a long, flat, big tendon that runs kind of on the outside of your upper leg. Um, and what can happen is if your knee is dipping in slightly when you're running, you're, you're loading the muscles in your, um, around your hip more. So what happens then is those muscles attaching into the ITB and they start to pull on it and it makes it so it gets tighter and where it's normally kind of running smoothly around your knee, it now starts to push on it and then it starts to rub and you start getting pain on the outside of your knee. This generally tends to be, sometimes it's not immediately when you start running, it comes on further into the run or sometimes even it can be worse when you've stopped running. Um, and this kind of thing happens in orienteering as well because the ground isn't flat that we're running on, it's always slightly changing. So you really need to be strong in your legs to be able to handle that. So then if you yeah, start to roll in with your knees, that starts to pull more and you start getting pain on the outside of your knee. I feel like I'm definitely guilty of like, I'm, I, I've not got any knee pain, but like I know my knees roll in uh so like i'm looking back at some videos of when i was running in the snow and it was like yep <laughs> so <laughs> what so so what can i do about it um there's a lot of different things actually generally if you're having this i would suggest go and see some sort of healthcare professional because there are millions of different reasons why why you would you you would be rolling in um, but one of the most common thing is if your arches in your feet are collapsing because if your arches collapse your foot will roll in your knee will roll in and then your hip muscles will will work harder so mm. that's a very common one um, but other ones can be if your glute muscles are too weak 
because um, then they won't be able to pull your leg out because they are the ones that stabilizes your hip basically um, so yeah that's two of the most common things but there are other reasons why it can be happening mm. that, well, actually that one yeah if you if you get it run less and strength train more until it's healed <laughs> yeah take take a break and not make it worse basically yeah exactly build up some strength build up some tolerance to to those glutes and um that should be helping mm. but is that one reasonably okay like reasonably easy to fit like to fix like it should kind of ease off quite quickly um it all depends what's causing it yeah it can be a really quick fix but it can be a really stubborn one as well okay what else should we be looking out for then um what else are the common ones um well ankle sprains (laughs) yes Hmm. i think we all had one of those (laughs) but they do seem Um, more prevalent in some people rather than others yeah yeah it depends actually on how um how strong your feet are that's really it uh because yeah the ground isn't flat that we're running on and um, with orienteering the reason why our the shoes that we use for orienteering are so have such a low heel is because if you have a high heel like you have with normal road shoes if you start to roll your ankle you have much much further to fall meaning that you can have a much bigger sprain or even a break mm. whereas with the orienteering shoes because they're so close to the ground if you start rolling you won't roll as far or as fast mm. so you can often correct it before um, before it's too late yeah i guess it's almost like your heel being a step and you're like foot falling off the step and if it's a high step it's got much further to fall and like further to twist and then if it's a low step you're not going to fall as far exactly yeah yeah um but yeah if you are really prone to doing it really the thing you should be doing is work on the balance um, you know, spend more time just standing on one foot, even if it's just, you know, stand on one foot when you're brushing your teeth. Mm. And if you have, if you've just done an ankle sprain, um, you know, it's the normal protocol of, you know, rest it, elevate it, keep it compressed just to stop the swelling. But when you then start to run again, it's quite common to have pain in your ankle, especially if it's the said ground isn't completely flat and you just have to tweak the way you run slightly. Um, so I would probably suggest is when you get, well, when you can get back to running orienteering, maybe start running taped. I know it's not a long-term solution, but while you are building up, while you're doing your balance exercise at home and building up the strength, um, tape it just to stop yourself from doing it again and then going backwards. Mm. Will, do mm. you use tape on on anything because i i no. my ankles are not a problem for me and i've never never really had to do it so interested to see what what your experiences are so i think i've only taped my ankles maybe once or twice in in my whole orienteering life um and i think one of those was preemptive because someone told me that the area was really rocky so i needed to take my ankles otherwise i break them and then <laughs> kind of all it resulted in was me experiencing a lot of pain when I ripped the hairs off my legs when I when I finished. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that was a rookie error. Um, but no, I've I've been pretty lucky, I think, in most of my orienteering time. But I've not. I, I've had a few tweaks, you know, where you just bobble it a little bit, and um, kind of the main issue I've had is actually when something's impacted the bottom of my foot and it's pushed back up towards my shin, and then 
the front of the foot there in the ankle was was sore and and took a couple of bashes during um some some races that were on consecutive weekends but I've, I've never really felt the need to tape it actually i've been quite lucky but then i know a lot of people who either wear ankle braces you know religiously when they go out orienteering and um they won't go orienteering without them so i think there's a real contrast even within kind of the the gb team of who has an issue and who doesn't but frida you were saying tape you said you think not like a long-term solution ideally you want to build up the strength on your ankle again but if you're prepared to tape for the rest of your life then you know that's fine (laughs) (laughs) will will taping for the rest of your life have a negative impact in the long run generally not is that too wide no it's it's just the fact that you don't build up the proper strength of your ankle and if you would then go out and you forget your tape at home you will constantly have that psychological reminder of mm. you know you being scared of yeah spraining again mm. yeah i can yeah. see it that's very psychological <laughs> and you're gonna go really really definitely... careful on everything exactly yeah <laughs> mm. um but yeah with that one as i said you just work work on your balance um so you can make it harder and harder with the balance if you start off just trying to balance on a hard floor on one foot that's much easier than if you're trying to balance on say a pillow that's slightly soft because your ligaments and your muscles are having to work slightly harder to hold your ankle still when you're on something soft Mm. Um, and then you can also try to build up to things like um, put a pillow on your like three steps up in your stairs at home and then try to do one kind of big step up onto that because then you're loading it quite hard while having to work on the balance. Okay, that makes that makes sense. That makes sense, and that's easy. Like you don't need any equipment. Everyone's got a pillow. Good, good, simple. Exactly. <laughs> good tip. Yeah. <laughs> Ankles can take quite a long time to heal because um, ligaments take roughly about three months to heal. Um, so muscles normally take about kind of four to six weeks to heal whereas because they're much better blood flow ligaments don't have as good blood flow so that's why they take longer so you've got to ease you just got to cut it right down for just so much longer and and work on that is there anything you can kind of do to help speed up that recovery or is it pretty much just wait wait your time yeah you you can do some things um you can use, for example, um, acupuncture works quite well for it. Um, acupuncture needling of the ligaments because that helps to bring in a bit more blood flow to the ligaments. Um, also, things like ultrasound treatment can help with it. So if you've got an ankle sprain that just doesn't seem to go away, go and see someone about it because there's things that can be done to speed it up. Cool, Make, makes sense in the science. Do you have any more common orienteering injuries? Yeah, we've got shin splints as well, it's worth touching on. Um, yes, so shin splints is Meg, basically... my sister Megan has been absolutely like cursing the wind for shin splints because she has not been having fun with them at all. And I think it's because she's been uh, uh, doing too much speed walking to the station when she's going from Reading to Oxford for <laughs> officer training corps and she is like, it's <laughs> messed her up for ages. Anyway, what do you have to say on the matter? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, shin splints is, is basically um, so around your bones there is a thin sheet that lies around it that gives um, gives nutrients to the to the bone, and your muscles that are in your lower leg that holds your arch up they are attaching into um, this this sheet, and what happens in shin splints is that the muscles are working too hard and they start to basically rip on that um, sheet Ugh. and it gets inflamed mm. on the bits that are still attached and that you start getting kind of constant pain in your lower leg. Um, but generally said, there are the muscles that hold your arch up. So if you then build on your arch support or do exercises that strengthens your arch, um, that will help. So this is another one of those that is, is an overuse injury, basically. It almost always comes on when um, you start to increase the amount of running or if you've you know, not been running as much during winter and start again when it's spring, that's when it normally comes on. So is there a case in my sister... Um yeah walking a lot to the station on you know on the pavements and not necessarily doing very much on soft surfaces does that have something to do with it and and maybe the type of shoes she's wearing too yeah it can be a type of shoes um it's also actually this one is more common in running than it's in orienteering because in road running or <laughs> speed walking on road <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> every step is the same meaning that you're loading the muscles in the same way all the time. Whereas actually orienteering is better for it because you're having to compensate with every step. Um, and also if the ground is softer, your foot isn't taking as much of an impact. So yeah, that, that might be why she's getting it. <laughs> yeah, I think she's got a lot a lot better recently now that she all her sessions are online and she doesn't have to speed walk to the station, basically. <laughs> Quite tragic. Well, Will, what were you going to say? I was going to say, I've got, I've got a mate who has struggled with shin splints for a couple of years um, and he's come up with several different theories for why this occurs, um, the, but has refused to believe that it was the hard tarmac road that caused it. Um, it it's stuff like uh, the, the off-road ground is too bobbly and it impacts his shins too much. Um, he refuses to run on a track because he says it's, it's too consistent and too soft. Um, and um, um, as soon as he sets foot on a track, he can feel his shins going and flexing, he says. Is there any <laughs> any truth to that, Frida? Because <laughs> I called, tried to call him out on it a few times. <laughs> I mean, if he's running in track shoes, it might be that the change of shoes could have something to do with it. Um, if he maybe been having some more arch support, for example, on his running shoes compared to his track shoes it might be that his arch is falling further into track shoes um ah, so i think yeah, he's got orthotics so i think that kind of he's got that extra stability in the arch oh, okay yeah I, I don't know it tracks are generally like athletics tracks are generally a little bit softer than than road um to be honest it sounds a little bit like it's a bit of a mind ghost there for him as well. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It was, the, it was the moment when he said, I can feel my tibia flex that got me. I don't, feeling a bone <laughs> flex, I think, is a slightly bigger problem than... If his tibia is flexing, he's got bigger problems. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let him know. 
Yeah, I can, I can definitely. It's just the way, Will, you said, like, as he's him saying, as soon as he steps on the track, like, feel something that's something that's wrong. And that definitely feels like. Oh, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Going on there. Definitely, definitely. He, uh, he even refuses to run on a, a slight camber because that he feels it flex on there as well. It's it's a very interesting thing running with him. Anyway. But then I surely surely the like variety of stuff is good. Like that's the whole point you were saying, Frida, like the orienteering and the, the change of the change of kind of different ground you're running on should hopefully minimise that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It should do. Mm, that's interesting. Mystery. Yeah. <laughs> But it's all about the arches, basically, right? Yeah, yeah. The arches has quite a lot of um, um, role to play in uh, in running injuries, really. Because yeah, if it goes wrong at the bottom, it just yeah, it affects all the way up. That makes sense. And I guess also there's a thing for like compensating. I was thinking about when you're talking about the ankles. If you've got one one ankle that you've kind of done, and then you're like compensating for that with other parts of your other muscles other parts of your body like that is probably quite a common one i'd i'd guess yeah exactly it's quite a common thing that you if you injure one side you start to load the other side more and you generally start getting um other injuries on that side yeah makes sense um any more for any more on orienteering um, the other one just to look out for um is stress fractures generally mm. for orienteering it will be in your foot uh, in the long bones in your feet uh, that generally comes on when you if you're increasing the running or changing the um, the surface that you're running on so say you're going from more trail to more um, road running and the way you can kind of detect stress fractures is you just you constantly have pain it starts really small but there's just no way you can get rest from it with most other injuries, there is you know some sort of position you can sit in, or if you take the weight off it, it doesn't hurt. But with stress fractures, it's just a constant pain in there. Yeah, I, I I've known a lot of people who've had kind of stress fractures and things like that. It seems to be really really common, and and I guess and I think a lot of that is like also nutrition related as well as like load. Yeah, very much so. That's one of those where. Yeah, you're not putting enough fuel in. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds sim- it sounds simple, but like it's so not because of the number of people that you see with stress fractures or like recurring stress fractures. So if you have one stress fracture, does it make it more likely you to get another? Not really. Um, as long as you haven't, you know, you haven't got a stress fracture because of say an eating disorder, because mm. um, then yeah, you're you're likely to get it again. But if it's just a a one off, you've um, build up on your on the things you're eating you're not any more likely than anyone else to get it again Mm. and that's that's one where you just have to completely stop right for for stress fractures to allow them to heal exactly stop weight bearing well stop running on it you can still train you could probably still do things like um cross training swimming where you're not having as much of an impact on the foot uh, but yeah, you just need to stop running. <laughs> yeah, that's it's a really brutal one that that kind of happens. I think like a lot of people find find that really, and they find it really it's really difficult to just stop as well. Like and just you feel like you want to try and 
oh, I'll just I'll just keep going and I'll, I'll do a slightly easier session and it'll be fine. And then you just kind of you're almost it's, I'm sure you see a lot of people who are kind of in denial that they're injured. Yeah, exactly. And it's such a it's a psychological thing, really, because when you are training hard and you've been obviously training harder than normal, you want to see results. You don't want to see an injury that tells you, no, you can't keep going. Mm. So I said you quite often deny it which is often when stress fractures develop. Mm, mm. Will, what's your injury experiences? Oh, um, so I think I've been relatively lucky, really, um, with my injuries. I I went for a couple of years of having some bad ones in 2012. I had uh, some bad patella tendonitis, um, the classic Achilles tendonitis a couple of times, and then a weird issue in the arch of my foot in 2016 which couldn't put a finger on what was actually wrong with it and then just had to do six eight weeks of arch strengthening um so I've, uh, hopefully i've got very strong arches and will definitely avoid shin splints no <laughs> touch wood um but i i i've been pretty lucky to be honest the last few years since um 2017 was i think my last major one and that's because i cracked my kneecap open slightly on a rock uh. in a race as an impact injury um and then a week in the british long distance champs on high dam and then a week later did it again on a tree at the walk selection race in estonia and landed oh, on the same well. knee going down a hill trying to <laughs> trying to chase alan cherry um <laughs> so th- that was my that was my biggest one because that was that was awful um i've done that a couple of times smashed a knee on a rock and or on a tree branch and uh it's just um, yeah, put me out for like kind of uh, six to eight weeks or so. Uh, I did it in 2014 as well, actually. I ran into a tree and, uh, and busted my knee up. So that's my major thing, <laughs> running into stuff, it seems. As I said, doing well, something well, really Well, I was about to once. be like, there's not really much you yeah. can do about those kind of things. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, some, sometimes yeah. there is, because you, you, you can look where you're going and <laughs> not fall over. Um, but I guess they're the ones that I'm always amazed that orienteers don't come out with more things like that of you know branches in the eye um, which I think I I got at walk which was not very fun Um, but yeah just generally the fact that not many people come out of orienteering in a rough forest with a broken bone always amazes me Um, oh I cracked my head open once actually what you cracked your head open yeah, yeah, I've got a big scar on my f- on on this on under an eyebrow because I I fell over on a muddy path and smashed my head on a rock there and got concussion and couldn't remember anyone's name at the finish. Um, that, was, that was quite a funny one. <laughs> Will you evidently have way less fear than I do because I have far too much fear to any get anywhere near doing anything like that basically. Ah, oh, well, I think it's roomy because I'm a terrible descender now. Uh, it's uh I'm not very quick on the descents and the fell races and stuff at all. I'm too scared of smashing my knees up. Um, <laughs> something I need to work on. But there isn't that much you can do about those big things that happen once, is there really? No, you're just going to no. be lucky to avoid them. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Um, yeah, I really think it depends how much fear you have. And to be honest, sometimes to run fast, you just have to have no fear and just have to like throw mm. yourself at things and that's how you end up being quick so like it's, i guess it's Absolutely. about how much risk you want to take personally i think that's that's the real big one i completely agree i think you've got a few races as well that you probably specifically target in the year and go right they're the ones i know 
doesn't matter what happens to 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 my body yeah 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 yeah. they they matter if I come out of that you know just ruined and not able to walk the next day doesn't matter Um, but yeah the the random kind of one in in February on a weekend oh yeah I'll probably back off on the downhill and and, and won't um, ruin myself I I seem to remember doing a fell race in March start of March in 2019 um, and going on the Recon and going down quite a rocky path and seeing Bob Dredge um, who is on the selection panel as an advisor um, coming up the other way <laughs> he just shouts at me like don't break yourself don't be an idiot <laughs> this doesn't matter like oh yeah that's quite a good point Bob because I already had a nosebleed and had blood streaming down my face so I think he got a bit concerned <laughs> yeah I would be concerned as well think about when is it when does it matter and when does it need to be that you need to be in one piece at the end of this race such that you can like do another race or you need to do I don't know need to be in shape because there's a major chance coming up or even just uh, you don't want to be injured at this time of the year I don't know something like that then that's that's pretty crazy I, I think my major problem has been a uh, uh, nosebleed Nose the amount of times I've had a nosebleed in the race yeah I've got I, I had those when I was a kid and I have really weak capillaries um, I mean and I think in 2016 I got it cauterized um, but before then I did an hour of the world university long distance champs in 2014 just my blood, uh, blood gushing from my nose. <laughs> it was awful. I felt dreadful afterwards. That's, Christ, yeah, that's really that. niche. Like yeah, that is, is, isn't it? That is that is really really niche. That is a really niche. You yeah. can't, you just can't do anything about nosebleeds. No, no. And I think it was the. I, I guess my blood pressure just got high when I was um, nervous in the start boxes beforehand and blow out my nose and then just. There's about four or five races in a row where it happened. It's really bloody annoying. Um, more than anything, because it covers the map and you can't see the map. <laughs> so constantly <laughs> wiping blood on my front. I must have looked, must have looked really strange. I think some Swede caught me up and he did a double take of like, who the hell is this joke? What's he doing here? It's covered in blood. Like just crusted on my face. I couldn't breathe properly. Uh, yeah. That is, that what, is, I don't know what I was doing. That is, but then, then everyone's like, are you okay? Are you okay? And you're like, it's just a nosebleed. Like, actually, it's yes. not like, I've not just kind of like, like gouged my eye out or my head or something like that. Like, it's yeah. just a nosebleed, but, but it looks really dramatic. I do oh, know a few does. people who like, it's very rare to see them come out of a forest and not be like covered in blood or have some sort of cut or like mm. something. And it's just like every single time, every single time. Right, so yeah, um, Frida, um, prehab, what can we do to um, basically kind of minimise the risk of all these injuries? And because um, uh, I guess, you know, prevention is better than a cure, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, strengthening your, your ankles, you know, to avoid ankle injuries. So even if you haven't had an ankle sprain, it could be good to just stand on one leg, stand on a say cushion on one leg um quite good said brushing your teeth while standing on one leg because you're also then moving your arm around mm. so meaning that your your center of gravity shifts just slightly so your um your ankle is having to work harder than to uh, to hold you up um but another one is sort out what we call medial knee collapse which is what i said with the knee going in uh because yeah if your knee goes in you are so much more likely to get things like I said ITB friction syndrome 
uh, patellar tendonitis, uh, bursitis of your of your hip, so inflammation of the hip, um, Achilles tendonitis. There's loads of them, um, and that you can do by so if you imagine you're standing straight, your feet are pointing straight, your hips are pointing straight. If you're doing things like squats, make sure that your knee goes either right over your feet or outside of it, never inside of it. Um, and that's the same with if you're doing lunges, make sure that the, the knee, that's the front knee, goes outside of your foot, not inside. That's one you were telling me off for a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I saw you do a squat jump and my brain went, oh, no. Hang on. Yeah. What, what was the Swedish phrase about like not being able to like separate yourself from the work or something like bringing your work to um, these kind of things? What was the phrase? Work injury. Oh, that yeah. When you, uh, <laughs> when you see something wrong that is connected with your job and you can't not think about it. So when I saw you do a, a squat jump with your knees going in I was like mm, I need to correct this <laughs> and I thank you very much for that yes <laughs> so yeah those those are the two main things so yeah strengthen your glutes push that knee out especially if you're doing things like um squat jumps um that's a bit explosive because then you're putting more pressure on the landing like you're you're having to work harder if your knees go in while you're doing that um yeah, that's kind of mimicking what would happen when you run then. So if you strengthen the outside of your hips, your knees will stay out more naturally, which will yeah stop you overloading a lot of other tissues. Mm. Um, and the last thing to work on is um, hip flexibility, especially what's called hip extension, which is how far behind your body you can get your leg. So the reason that's important is because when you're running, you want to be able to push off with the leg and the further back you can get your leg the longer stride you can take means the quicker you can go and also if you if you're not flexible through there it means that you can then compensate with other things for example you can compensate by slightly arching your low back which can give you the low back pain when you're running or you try to hyperextend through the knee to get a bit further back um, and all of those just in time lead to overuse injuries of other tissues that shouldn't be doing that job. Is that what we kind of call like overstriding? Um, almost where your, is that where your your ankle like lands ahead of your knee? Is that kind of what I'm calling overstriding? Um, yeah, that would be overstriding when you have taken too long stride, uh, but that's more talking of putting your foot too far forwards. This is more how long can you leave the foot on the ground for? Okay. Um, so when you're running you want to be able to really push off from your big toe if your hips aren't uh, flexible enough or your ankles aren't flexible enough for it you will step off too early meaning that you don't get as much of a push when you run oh. but yeah you're, you're right with if you're taking too long step when you put your foot forward too far you're just going to run and break like you're breaking in every step that you take mm. I'm always surprised and there could be a reason this how orienteers don't um into their back a little bit more when they're you know going under loads of um dark green trees or bushes and, and things like that or jumping over um ditches and things in in races that impacts from you know dropping from a height off a crag or, or something like that 
is that just a natural build-up of resistance or just kind of luck that more people don't get injured in that manner? Yeah, it's uh, generally a build-up. So that's actually quite a funny one with... Um, when I lived over in Sweden, I always found that when I started orienteering again after the winter, because um, I didn't do much during the winter because, you know, snow everywhere, I always had a bit of a backache when I came back for the first few trainings just because... I wasn't used to, you know, leaning down so much when I was running. Mm. Uh, but after a few trainings, competitions, you'll get used to it and you build up the, the tolerance for it. So, yeah, it's you just build build up the, the strength in your back. Mm. Okay. Because I, I think a common one probably for older people is that you know, a, lot of, a lot of older people say, oh, my back's gone, you know, I can't run as much as I used to and, or knees and so forth. But I guess, yeah, that resistance for orienteers built up over time means that they can... Yeah, just kind of get along through the terrain and not not have too much of an issue. Yeah, exactly. And um, actually, it's been some really big studies that have been published saying that if you are running at a amateur level, you're much less likely to get things like knee arthritis than people who don't run. All mm. oh, right. So it kind of seems mostly like a lot of orienteering injuries are because the the terrain we're running on is um not very uniform at all like there's so much differences in that whereas i think a lot of you're almost saying a lot of the kind of more running injuries are because every step is the same is that kind of the right way to kind of sum up i guess yeah yeah exactly that that's pretty much it yeah it's um you want a bit of variation in your training because you said otherwise you just keep loading the same tissue over and over again and that gets tired and then it starts to break. So yeah, it's, it's actually, orienteering is generally better for you than just road running because you're having a bit more variation in, in the step and in, in the way you're running. That's cool. Well, I think we need to give ourselves like quite a lot of credit for, you know, what we do as orienteers and the kind of different ways that we're putting our body through different loads and different stresses in in a totally different way to normal runners and and actually you know if you do compare yourself to what runners do it's it is very different and all you know the up and down and all the different the terrain and everything and it reminded me um will about talking about uh shoes and what different shoes um oh yeah that'll do for a fell running but you need something a bit more for orienteering because it's like it's tougher and all, and all that kind of stuff there's, there's definitely mm. there's definitely more demand you can get away with like you know less grip or whatever for uh, for a fell running shoe but you really need to go all out for an orienteering shoe <laughs> yeah absolutely i think that's really quite funny so i guess our top tips for the rest of the year is uh strengthen your ankles strengthen your arches and have some variation strengthen your bum yeah glutes and uh, have some variation i will try and uh do some of those but um i won't make you any promises so uh cool i'll check the way you squat next time we run i know i know yeah oh gosh i've got got you looking over me all the time anyway thank you so much um frida for having a chat and uh yeah i think that was very useful yeah no worries thanks for having me So that was a great insight there um, from Frida on all things orienteering injuries. Some stuff to definitely take away from that, Catherine, I think. Um, I don't know. Mostly how rubbish I am at strengthening my glutes and (laughs) how I need to like put more work in, basically. And I'm like amazed that I'm not like injured with all these, like my crazy knees going everywhere. But there we go. (laughs) 
yeah, I try and ha- I try and put in um, glute activation at the start of every SNC that I do, and then also if you're on a work call and you don't have to have your camera on, get a balance board out and throw a um, a stress ball or a tennis ball at a wall and try and catch it as well. Um, that helps work on the balance. You've really thought that's, about that's that. Yeah, well, I got really bored on some work calls and got my wobble board out and just like, um, it, it's, it's really good actually. It it, mm. it helps and uh, and my SNC coach always says, well, you never run on two legs, so what's the point in doing all the work on two legs? You've got to do it on one leg. So um, mm. yeah, sneaky extra stuff. But Love great it. insight there. And uh, I guess before we before we end, Catherine, we should uh, have a message from our sponsors. Uh, yeah, well, big news since I've hit 400k, like I'm tracking in my Terra TTs. And I think one of the things that Envy has really tried to do a lot in their shoes is make them very durable. And to be honest, I was looking um, back at the, you know, the grip on my shoes and it's still there. Like it's, it's doing good, mm. to be honest. Like I was, I was a bit, I think when I first got them, like, oh my gosh, like how long are these going to last? Because they're really, really light and like much lighter than other shoes that I've kind of used. But um, to be honest, they are still going as strong as ever and looking after my feet when I've been on a few like long runs last month. So um, yeah, mm. thumbs up for me for I- durability. If you would like to get yourself a pair of MVs or the um, the Terra TT, contact mvstraight.uksales at gmail.com um, and contact Mary Fleming there. So that's nvistr8.uksales at gmail.com. But that's it. That's it for this week, mm-hmm. Catherine. It is indeed. It is indeed. We're going to be back, of course, next week with our sprint episode with Frida. And then, of course, we'll be back in another couple of weeks with our regular full scale, all singing, all dancing episode. Uh, We will see you then. Bye.